It's time to answer the call, little buddy. I'm talking about big beef, dislocate your jaw kind of wide. This, that, charbroiled unicorn boy, bacon, big pig, slab, cut thick, sizzling for shizzling on velvet sheet of ooey gooey. Ooh, a wild, wild western bacon cheeseburger. Carl Jr. I'm calling your name. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. We are the Finsider he speaks of. Good evening. My name is Keith. This is Finsider Radio. We're live for the next hour until about 10 p.m. Eastern, a little bit shorter show, as opposed to what we usually do, our usual 90 minutes, uh, two hours sometimes. A little bit shorter tonight, not that much to talk about unless you're really into the rumor mill, which I know a lot of you are, and that's okay. Uh, a lot of our best calls are the result of that. Uh, so we're going to focus on talking about the draft tonight and uh, a couple of strange little tidbits that came up today. I don't know if they're right in line with uh, the Doriel Green Beckham stuff we heard last week. I assume they are. Uh, defensive side of the ball this time, in terms of the rumors regarding who, I should say, uh, whom we are interested in with the number 14 pick. Before we get all, before we get to all of that, my co-host as always, Duke. How are you this evening? I'm doing all right. Good. Good. Uh, so we'll just, uh, kick things off here just because we're a little pressed for time tonight. Uh, so Mel Kuyper's mock comes out today. I believe it's mock 4.0 or something along those lines. And, um, um, so he puts that out today and, uh, just looking at it, uh, pretty much my nightmare in terms of scenario just looking at how, how he had the first 13 picks falling. I don't know if you're a Dolphins fan, if, unless you're a fan of the guy he had us taking at 14, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, I don't know if you could have drawn it up any worse for if you're into the Dolphins drafting a receiver, uh, if you're into them drafting Trey Waynes. Some people aren't, some people are. Uh in fact, not only the top three receivers, the, in his mind, the top four receivers. So uh, what did you think? Not so much about who we took at number 14, but with those first 13 picks and just how the board, well, the cupboard for us in a lot of ways seemed to go dry. What did you think of that? And Do you think that that's an actual possibility come uh, draft night? I didn't see his mock, but um, I'm going to see if I can find it real quick. I could see that happening, um, and I don't know. Maybe the Dolphins do too, because you know they there was a rumor. I'm sure we'll talk to you later, or talk about later um, about trading up or whatever. But I could see, I could see something like that happening, and I think it's kind of a, I don't know, maybe a worst case scenario. But I, I mean, I think there there are players out there. Um, I did not see. Was uh, was uh, Eric Kendrick still available? Uh, I don't believe he has Eric Kendrick still in the first round. Well, there you go. 
I'm I'm a fan of Kendricks. I know there are a lot of Dolphins fans who are. If he was available at 14, and all the other players were off at 14 that you wanted or were gone by then, I would have no problem pulling the trigger on him. Um, you know, there. If you could trade down, that would be good. But I mean, I think I think there are some players that will be there at 14 that, based on what I've seen, I would consider you know being worth that pick. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know that there's necessarily a worst case scenario, and I'm not too upset with the Danny Shelton pick. I mean, I've read some stuff about him, kind of negative, but that's kind of how the season goes. I mean, there's just so much information out there, but and pretty much, I mean, for every for every fan shot or fan post you could write, good or bad, about a certain prospect, you could probably find some other information from someone else that's the exact opposite. So. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I don't have as much energy this this season as before. But a lot of this is just kind of overwhelming to me. So I'm kind of going by my own tape review, um, and I'm not I'm not an expert by any means. But I kind of like what I see when I see a guy like Danny Shelton play. Some of the stuff I've seen. So he was there at 14, and the Dolphins felt the need. I mean, uh, we've talked about this before. I think Dolphin fan for life was the first guy to mention it. He mentioned it on the podcast. So. Uh, now Piper's probably listening in and stole the idea from him. But, I mean, really, I mean, you might as well just, if, if the other teams are just going to pass a lot because they're not going to run on Sue or or uh, Shelton and then throw, throw some of those other guys like Mitchell and Francis, whatever, in the mix. You're just, you're just not going to run with Dolphins. So, I mean, is that the best pick? No, but would it fill a need and, and enhance something that's already a strength? Sure. I certainly wouldn't call it the the most ideal pick. I think the from the people I've seen who are against this selection of a uh, Shelton in number fourteen, the main thing they keep bringing up is Earl Mitchell, and why would we do that to Earl Mitchell when we already have him in there in a nose tackle role? It's not as black and white as cut and dried as, as you think in terms of just replacing one guy with the other or just putting one down. If you bring in Sheldon, you're talking about incredible depth along the defensive interior now because you, you've already got the, the big names in play. Obviously, Dominican Sue uh, is the, the main attraction on the interior. But, I mean, Earl Mitchell, I think, does a lot of good things at that zero technique role. I, I said this today. I had some people disagree with me, and that's fine. I think Shelton brings a little bit more scheme versatility than uh, uh, Earl Mitchell in that I think that I like Shelton's athleticism. I think he can give you something as a pass rusher. So if you're going to go ahead and flip him from that zero tech to that one tech or vice versa, you're not necessarily tipping your hand as much. I think that you can go ahead and get him. Uh, I'm not saying he is Haloti Nata, but if you're playing a, a 4-3 and you kick him to that one technique, uh, you've already got, I mean, the guy playing next to him in, in, in Dominican Sioux is a guaranteed double team. Uh, you'd like to think that Danny Shelton's going to be along that line, too. He's going to qualify for a double team as well, which is outstanding if you're, if you're bringing, you know, Cam Wake and Olivia Vernon off the edge. So mm-hmm. it's, well, it, it's an enticing... Go ahead. Sure. Um, 
I was reading Pro Football Focus. Uh, they had a profile of Adama Kinsu before free start, agency started. And it said, of his 924 snaps last season, 381 came from two-tech, one-tech, zero-tech positions. 482 were in the B-gap, three-tech, four-I-tech, and then 61 snaps came outside of four-tech. So when you look at it, let's assume that the Dolphins use him in a similar fashion. You're going to need you're going to need someone else that can be a penetrating three tech guy. In my opinion, I think Earl Mitchell can fit that role. Uh, he's a little undersized as a one tech, but if you put him in a penetrating three tech kind of role, if they use Sue in, in a similar fashion, I think he would excel there. I don't know. I, I think I don't know that the Dolphins will follow that follow that pattern, but I, I just seem to think that there's not going to be this. And Dominican City is going to strictly play uh, three tech the whole time. I think they're going to move him around, get try to get matchups all over the place with him. I mean, that's you don't sign a guy to that kind of contract and say, "Here, we're just going to stick you right here on this spot, and you just do what you you know this will work from here." They're going to get creative with him, and so you know, I mean, you could see, I mean, you, let's say you're bringing a guy like Shelton, you could even see them run a three man front with with the Dominican Sioux as a five tech. Because I do remember seeing uh I, I do remember him seeing seeing him last year do that. Bringing a guy like say Terrence Fiday who's got good five tech size. You know, you've got your nose tackle. You could you could have all kinds of different scheme things that you could do. Uh but the one thing that Sheldon does provide is he does give you that an absolute zero one tech guy uh at least for half the snaps. That's probably the only negative would be, well, you're getting a guy that's probably only that's going to play in a rotation. Is that is that worth the 14th pick? But you know, then he looked back on skill set. I mean, he's not just a you know a space eating hog out there like some. I mean, this guy does, uh, like you said, does provide some pass rush. So yeah, I, mean, I think that was that was part of the there. argument today is uh, positional value, and if he's if he's only playing snaps a game. As is typically the nature of the zero tech. I mean, in our in our defense, a one tech as well. If he's playing a hybrid role, uh, you're you're he's not going to see as many snaps as in Dominicans do. So, I mean, are you you going to go ahead? Or are you going to justify using the number fourteen overall selection on him? And to that, I'd say I actually want to expand on a point you just made a little while ago. In that, if you have Shelton dedicated to that zero-one technique and you're able to flip them to either roll comfortably and then that also lends Indomitian Sue to move around, which we expect, that also allows you to move Earl Mitchell around. Because because right now, I don't think that they have, now that Paul Solia is gone, I don't think that they have the natural ability to flip between a 3-4 and a 4-3 front comfortably with just Earl Mitchell. That's my take on it. Yeah, one other thing that Shelton can bring is, and it's not going to happen immediately, obviously, because Indomitian Sioux is who he is, but imagine if Shelton provides, he becomes the player that you expect him to become when you draft him at the 14th pick. So imagine if that guy suddenly becomes the guy you're having to double team. And that's all I need to say about that. Yeah, it's 
I mean, like, like I said, I don't look at it as an ideal selection for us at number 14, but I can learn to like it real quick. I just I love the idea of total flexibility flipping between a 3-4 and a 4-3 front. And I like her. I love Earl Mitchell. I think that he can is going to do some really good things for us. I think he's going to be afforded uh, more flexibility and opportunities next season as a result of Indomitian Sioux. Uh, joining joining the uh, defensive front. But I like the idea of being able to move these guys around. I think you're able to move them around more with Danny Shelton in there. Now, to kind of uh, segue this into one of the rumors that came out today, because we're talking about defensive linemen, uh, there's a rumor out right now that the Dolphins have significant interest in Eric Armstead. I think that came out of Bleacher Reports. So, I mean, you know, take it, uh, take it how, however you want. But this, it, you were talking about an ability to, to move guys around. Eric Armstead is the kind of guy where you can move just about anywhere on the def, on the defensive front. He's big enough to play the five tech. I uh, I can I can see him really in a sort of Justin Tuck role, where you can go ahead and just kick him inside and just let him wreak uh, havoc if you want. But, I mean, he's got size to play in multiple positions up front. Is that someone you would consider at number 14? I don't remember if it was on the show or on a uh, – I commented somewhere on the side, or maybe it was just in my head. But I kind of had that in the back of my mind a while back as a kind of a dark horse player uh, that the Dolphins would look at, mainly because he, he doesn't – he seems to be a – not a not a great fit in in terms of I think most people are looking at him as a five tech, um, but it, I mean he's kind of the I, I mean I don't I don't know as far as it, how his tape goes I've not really watched any tape on him, um, but as as far as what you're looking at I mean he is he could be what Jared Audrick was, except now you have. Dominican Fu instead of Soli or Starks or whoever else over across from him. So, I mean, is he strictly a five tech? Do you use him as an edge rusher? I mean, I kind of look at him in that role of what they could do the same things with Armstead as they did with with um, with Jared Audrick. And I think he would have success there. One of the things that I've read about Armstead is that he's kind of raw, that he's not fully developed, which is Good. It would be great if Casey Rogers was still around because that guy, you know, has a history of developing defensive linemen. And you'd think, well, if he got his hands on a moldable guy like Armstead with his kind of with his traits, what is he, six, seven, three hundred pounds? It's kind of a phenomenal athlete. Uh, wasn't he the guy that scored the touchdown against James Winston when he when he fumbled the ball? If I remember right, um, I mean, the guy's a pretty is very athletic. So they can do a lot of stuff with him. My my question would be: Is he the best value at that pick? Uh, and, it, and it goes to you know where they have him on their board. But I mean, if they think he's a guy that can be disruptive on the interior, or that they can bring in off the edge or whatever else like that. Um, to me, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm going to say I, I think we should. I mean, I like what he brings. I would like to see them try to develop Terrence today. I think he can fit that role. Um, and you already see a guy like Derek Shelby, who they move as a as an 
a guy from the edge, and they move him on, into the interior on certain packages. So, I man, I think you've got some guys like that there. Unless you just see something in Armstead that's just, this guy is so much better than what we have, or he is his potential is so much better than the players we have. I don't know that I would I would want to take him. I wouldn't be disappointed with it, but I think they could use their use their resources a little better in my opinion. Let's uh, let's go to the phone. Uh, we've got our first caller tonight. Caller, you are on the air. Greetings. How are you, gents? Oh, we're doing good. Who are we talking to? Oh, my name is Steve. Uh, you know me on the forum as Hot Sauce Steve, and I'm a big fan of yours. Wow. Hello, Steve. Hey, how are you? Are Doing you taking great. questions or about? ideas or? Hey, uh, quick uh, we will before before you get started. Did I? Is it just me or did I not read that you uh, that you live in Asheville, North Carolina? I do. I do. I saw your post. I guess you're going to the Charlotte game, are you? I, I am so I am I, I'm from around that area so. Uh, oh neat. Yeah. So that's, yeah. That's let's figure cool. out a way. I'd love to. I'd love to get out there and see him. I have family uh, in Charlotte, uh, but. I'm... Obviously, you don't sound like you're from North Carolina like I do. But anyway. Oh well, that's uh, because okay. I grew up in Midtown Manhattan. <laughs> but other than that, I'm pretty much local. I was going to say you guys have the same area code, so when you called in at first, I thought it was Duke. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, we're um, we're taking questions. Uh, if you want to go ahead and chat what, about what we're currently discussing, I mean, it's up to you. What's on your mind? Well, actually, I did I did want a couple of ideas from you guys. Um, it seems like we're all looking at this number fourteen pick and what to do with it, and a lot of it seems to me about what happens with basically how Hickey evaluates about three positions. You know, how ready is Jamar Taylor and, and Will Davis at cornerback? Because pretty much we're going to need a Grimes replacement in a year or two. And they always need to be groomed for a year. I guess the other part is what he thinks about our two guards, and if they could set in, you know, right away. Um, and then, you know, what do we do about the O-line otherwise? So, I mean, I heard your one of your earlier shows, and it was a really neat thing about trading down if we can for, say, someone like Jalen Strong or one of the other wide receivers. So I guess I get, have about two questions. One of them is, if we do trade down, I mean, it'd be neat to trade, say, 10 picks down and get to, I don't know, Dallas or Arizona who needs running backs, pick up an extra second or maybe two second-round picks. But how what's the difference between, say, the, the top three receivers and then the lower guys like Jalen Strong? I mean, could we basically get the same guy? You know, could we get – I think Chris talked about uh, Jalen Strong basically being having the same work ethic as Jarvis Landry, who's – uh, you know, he's sold me even preseason, and a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, and we get those extra picks or one of the fast guys. I mean, is there a big enough difference that we can get that value and move down? Um, and the yes. other part is, with the guards, you know, I hate to blow. There was a neat article by Armando Salguero, and you guys mentioned it too, is it says that, you, you know, with the new collective bargaining, you draft the most expensive players. So I'd hate to blow a 14 pick on a guard, if we can, be better to you know, take a wide receiver. But then we'd need one. We'd still be able to pick one up later. Um, you know, is it where's the? How do you, how do you guys see with your close contact with the Dolphins? Uh, say Hickey's evaluation of Taylor and Davis being ready, or do we need to get a guy to groom? And how do you see the guards being ready? I mean, do we really need to get someone that high? 
Um, well, any ideas on that? Him. I mean, I think if the wide receivers are close, we can get value and still get the same guy. And we sure could I use another that, pick. Yeah, I think that the – well, first of all, I I really like Taylor and Davis. Uh, opinions are going to vary about those two. Uh, I feel better about Jamar Taylor, but I like Davis's skill set when when he right. joined the team. I really I really like uh, I like his his length. I think that he gets he's capable of getting a real good jam at the line of scrimmage. Uh, so if you're if you're going into this draft and say they're not a fan of uh, of Marcus Peters, or they're not a fan of Wayne's. I mean, Wayne's could be gone anyway. Uh, there, I mean, you look at it two ways. Number number one is they, because it's not an ultra deep corner class, depending on how you look at it. Uh, so you can go ahead and interpret what the Dolphins are doing in the first round as either uh, an indictment on one of those guys, probably Davis, or uh, a vote of approval, really, when you're looking at those two. And I tend to think that they're going to try to work in-house with these guys unless something is going on we don't know in terms of how they're evaluating their talent and, I mean, what they have on the roster. So in, in terms of Davis and Taylor, I would, I would like to roll with those guys, but the one thing you brought up is the replacement for Grimes because that guy's not necessarily a spring chicken. I believe he's, right. he's going to be 31 this year. Yeah, so, and it always um, takes so, a year or I'm, two to, to groom. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, cornerback's it's a not you know a plug-and-play position any even at the top of the draft, you know. Certainly, certainly, it's not a it's not a position uh, that always uh, translates quickly and uh, um, in a certain manner to the pros. So, but you brought that up that if they go ahead and they they take a big name guy, or they maybe move down and they they go for Marcus Peters. That could also uh, indicate that they're they're planning for the future there uh, for Brent Grimes. So I actually like that more than them bringing in a corner to take over for Davis. Or and I like Jamar Taylor. We talked about him last week. I think they have something good with him. I know that he's had some bad luck in terms of injuries, uh, the illness when he came into the league. Right. So uh, we'll get we'll get Duke, we'll we'll go in stages here. So we'll get Duke's take on that, and then. Uh, we'll uh, go to the receivers because I have a theory about that too. So what do you think, Duke, about uh, Davis Taylor? Well, I think a lot of it depends really on kind of who's really at the top of the food chain. And what I mean by that is are they strictly looking for receivers that are scheme-specific what Coyle is doing? Or are they looking for prototype positions? Uh, We're talking about, for example, uh, four corners, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So a lot of stuff that I've read uh, about corners, if you look at what the team has and what they would look for with what they do right now, you've got guys like Ekpreil Lemu, Sinquez Goldson, um, Stephen Nelson, some other guys that are – little maybe on the smaller side, but they fit more of what Miami runs. Whereas you look at a guy like, say, Wayne or Peters, who those guys look to be more of the bigger, more physical corners. So if you bring a guy like Peters in, in my opinion, that's saying that, that's telling me that the 
powers that be that are calling the shots, it's not an indictment necessarily of Jamar Taylor or Will Davis as much as they're saying, we're going to get this guy because we think he's going to be elite, and you're going to scheme around his abilities. We're not going to get guys to fit your scheme. So I think that's kind of what you're looking at, in my opinion, with some of these positions. They're not going to look at necessarily – if you start seeing them wait on corners, go for some of the smaller guys that kind of fit what Coyle's doing, then they're kind of saying, yeah, we're going to build around that. But if you see them take a guy like Peters or even a guy like Eric Rowe or somebody like that who's more – who these guys appear to be bigger press corners, something that Miami doesn't do a lot, then that's kind of – that would tell me – they're looking at a future possibly post-Joe Philbin, uh, or they're saying, you know what, we, we're not going to worry about your scheme so much. We're just getting prototype players for what we want, and you work with that. Hmm. And, and part of what makes me think of that is at the coaches' breakfast at the owners' meeting, Joe Philbin talked about, well, Deion Jordan is a defensive end. He said that. Not Right before that, um, Tannenbaum, I believe, said, well, you know, they, he, he's an end, but we haven't, you know, completely ruled out a move to linebacker. <laughs> and that tells me that the the front office is looking at, we, we this is what we think about the guys, and the coaches may be looking at something different. And I think I think that the, the uh, front office is just going to get players they want, regardless of the scheme fit. That's, that's kind of how I take on it. So, you know, it depends on whether or not they feel like they need a corner. I know Tannenbaum's mentioned that as, as an important position. But if you see a guy like Wayne or Peters get drafted at 14, that'll tell you a, a lot. I think that um, moving on to the uh, – and I agree with everything Duke said there, although I do think it is a little bit of an indictment uh, if they draft a corner because if if anything, you're looking at those guys as becoming borderline obsolete. Because if you move away from that that zone corner mentality that was all the rage with Miami Dolphins fans two years ago, uh, and with uh, with Kevin Coyle, uh, <coughs> do you, do you like those guys and schemes going forward? I I don't know. Uh, I, like, I, like David, I, I, I like I like more. I like his physicality. I, I think he can play. I like, I, like, I like the physicality, but I also like the raw speed. I think that yeah. he has an exceptional skill set. Will Davis uh, is a little bit more hit or miss for me, but I, I do like Jamar Taylor. I think that when he came out of Boise State, I didn't think that there was anything about him that said he can only play in one scheme. I think that's something that you said when we were watching tape about him way back when, so that regardless of what we're doing, this guy is going to be able to pull it off. So uh, to get to the other question about the receivers, the, the thing about the guys at the top, and that's Cooper, Parker, Kevin White, and everyone else uh, won't apply as much to us in, in a sense that those guys are, you know, for lack of a better term, number ones. You see that a lot. Those are guys you can put in your offense, and those guys can be your go-to receiver, especially, I mean, I mean, Cooper's the, the total package, but in terms of, like, your prototypical, uh, if you want to use a comparison, like an A.J. Green, that type player, those are, that's right. kind of the skill set you're getting with a Parker uh, Kev, or Kevin White. Uh, if you're looking for that, that super speed type, uh, Brashad Perriman's getting a lot of looks now. While we need, like, a bigger red zone target, we need a guy, We keep you keep hearing the term, uh, a larger catch radius. 
and that's definitely something I think the Dolphins have interest bringing to Miami to pair with Ryan Tannehill. The guys that are down a little bit, and I would include, I would include Strong as the number one type, by the way. Uh, a lot of the guys, uh, one uh, player we're both really into is uh, uh, Nelson Aguilar, and um, he wouldn't be a number one in my opinion in most offenses, but if you stick him in an offense that we have now, where you have a Kenny Stills, you have a Jarvis Landry, uh, Jordan Cameron providing he's healthy, uh, suddenly that guy becomes a real problem because he's he's an outstanding route runner. He's one of the best route runners in this draft. His hands are great. And, I mean, he's got – I wouldn't say that he has outstanding speed, but if you're going to talk about Amari Cooper having good speed, I think Nelson Aguilar is right there too. So I think he's fast enough. So it becomes a thing where are you looking for a number one receiver or are you looking for a guy – who can do excellent work in the West Coast offense that we have going on. And that's why you see that divide between your your Cooper, your Parker, your White. Uh, Jalen Strong can end up being part of that. Prashad Perriman, maybe too. And then your your Nelson Aguilar, uh, Philip Dorsett's in there too. I think he's back down a little bit because of the size. Um, Devin Funches is someone uh, people are hot and cold on. I like Devin Funches. So, I mean, that's kind of what to expect, but we're both big Aguilar fans, and I think that if you trade down uh, late to the first round, I don't know if Jalen Strong is going to be there. I think that's a big-time gamble. Oh, and uh, we forgot about Green Beckham, too. I should say I forgot about Green Beckham. He's he's down there for a different reason. Uh, but two two reasons, the really. You can look at, though. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. I agree with everything what Keith's saying there. Yeah. Uh, the term that I used today uh, on the post on the site was X receiver. And you're looking at, uh, and basically that's the split end and, and some stuff that I've read about it, um, very good information. But basically that, that's the guy that has to win on the outside all the time. If that's what they are looking for, then they need one of those bigger kind of guys. They need a guy that's going to excel there. If you see them move down and take a receiver later, then that tells me you're, they're looking for guys that fit certain kind of molds. And a, a guy like Aguilar is not going to be your typical or prototypical X receiver. But Miami's going to move him around a lot. They're going to use stacks formations. They're going to use a lot of stuff to get him a free release, which the main concern with him that I've that I've read or seen is is you know can he is he physical enough to be the jam. And you move a guy like that around, and I was trying to think. I was watching. I was watching some film of him, and the only, the only person that I could see a comparison to in terms of his footwork uh, was Chad Johnson. Uh, just he just has some really, really excellent, excellent footwork on on his motion. It's just, and he, he, one thing that I like about a receiver is I like the receiver to explode off the line of scrimmage. I like the guy to beat up that cushion. Um, as quickly as he can, and that's what Aguilar does. Now he's not—he's not your guy that's going to, you know, be a go-to guy in every situation like a Des Bryant or Calvin Johnson. But is he a guy that you can get 100 targets in a season to? A guy that's going to catch, you know, 75 passes, 65 to 75? Absolutely. And and the guy is—he's a, he, a returner, so he's going to get a lot of. He's going to generate some, some yards after the catch. If you draft a guy like that, he automatically becomes your, your punt returner, leaving Jarvis Landry to you know focus more on the offense. So, yeah, I have become a super big Aguilar fan. Um, 
I, Keith and I were watching tape a few years ago, and we were watching Robert Woods, and we liked him a lot. And I like Aguilar even more. Um, I think wow. this guy is even better. Uh, I, I think he's better than Marquise Lee. I think he's better than Woods even. Uh, wow. And, and, and I still think he's developing. I don't think he's polished yet, which is more improved. But now he's not He's not your Doyle Green Beckham type. He's going to be this big, imposing receiver. So, again, it goes back to what, the, what they want. Um, I mean, if they want that big target, if they think, all right, We've got we've got the receivers other places that we need. Um, let, let's let, you know let's let's target a different type of receiver. And they might go for the Aguilar or Dorsett or whoever, a guy like in the you know, later rounds like Trey McBride. But if they want that big guy, I think you're going to see them do something about that in the first round. And and Jalen Strong is getting a lot of mixed reviews. I mean, you you will read stuff on him that's just this guy's phenomenal. And you read several hands like this guy's terrible, and it's just so hard to filter out. The one thing that I, the one thing that I have read that's very promising, that I've, I've seen from a couple of different places, is, as they say, the things he's really good at is the stuff that's hard to teach and hard to coach. The things he's not as good at, that's the easy stuff to teach and coach. So if you get a guy like Jalen Strong in the first round, even at 14, he's not a guy that's going to come in and get you, you know. 80 to 90 catches his rookie year. But he's a guy that by year three, he's going to be a dominant receiver. If you think the coaches can teach him to do the right things, he's got the work ethic to do it. So I'm just kind of, I'm kind of torn on him. I mean, I go back and forth between him, between wanting strong or not wanting strong, and I don't really know. Um, I'm kind of the same with Doriel Greenbeckham. I mean, I really like what he brings. I think he's worth the other stuff. I think, you know, if you don't take him, then you know he, you know, the interview process didn't go well. But I don't know. It's, the receiver position is just—I think that's probably what's got me so kind of, kind of burnt out on this 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 year. Looking at film and and reading stuff, it's just there's so much varying information on receivers out there this year for guys that mind you want that it's just it's hard to filter everything out, and it, and it gets kind of everything just starts to overlap at some point. Hey, uh, how about Steve? Yes, sir. You just call me Steve. My name's Steve Ambrose, but I couldn't think of any kind of cool street name because I'm too old for that. So I, that's the only nickname I could come up with. Yeah. So I was going to say that we've got <laughs> some, some other calls waiting, but I know that Great. you wanted to talk about guard guard real quick. No, I, I like your points. I mean, I, I I kind of agree, and I just I also don't get this whole red zone receiver. I think we got that when we got uh, our tight end Cameron, who's two inches taller than Clay. He gives you that radius. We don't need a number one receiver to cover that. We have the tall guy now. But I think you know yeah. I, I wouldn't take Green Beckham because I, the one thing no one talks about is he's a terrible, almost unknown route runner, which is exactly what Laser doesn't want and Tannehill doesn't want. So I don't see that fitting, but I get the, I like your points about everything. That's why I don't think that's why I think they'll go down because they don't need a number one like you said. We kind of got that a little a, bit for the red that's zone. That's what was strong too. Is strong is not an ideal route runner, but the difference really between him and Beckham is that he's off, you know his off the field his kicks all that stuff's clean, whereas Green Beckham does not have that same kind of same kind of leeway there. So I mean it depends on how much you really want to. To invest in this guy and to develop him. I mean, if you get a guy like Aguilar, you're pretty much saying this guy's already a pretty good route runner. We'll, we'll refine the rough edges. 
with a guy like Strong or, or Green Beckham, you're going to say, all right, this guy, he's going to have to, he's going to have to come in, and we're going to have to really polish up what he does. But the trade-off is there. You've got a guy that's six two or six five that could potentially become a very dominant weapon in the NFL. So, you know, that's what you're looking at. Do I get guys that are kind of ready-made to go this year, or do I get guys that are not as ready-made but could be elite in the near future? Right. Well, thank you for taking my call. I I know you need to get on to 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 the rest of everybody, but thank you so much. Yeah, call us again soon. Great. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Steve. I still want to call him Hot Sauce Steve. I love that name. I think that's that's pretty funny. Uh, our next guest has actually been on, been on hold for a while. He is no stranger to this show. Uh, he is a Dolphin fan for life. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. What's on um, your mind? Well, I wanted to run a few ideas by you. Um, of course, you know, I've been writing those posts about the analytics and everything. Uh-huh. But... You know, in in dealing with all the analytical stuff, it kind of had me dropping back into last year as far as, like, the draft and everything and how they went about the process. And it, it gave me a couple ideas. And I know some people aren't going to like this because I I think I saw something there that really just kind of goes against what everybody wants. And the thing is, is that first and foremost, I believe that the Dolphins already have their guy that they want to draft. They're in like with a certain particular player because the same thing happened with James. And, you know, with all that being said, I believe that's what constituted the whole move up and everything else like that. Because, um, you know, just kind of like gauging just in case if like there's a run on the specific position and they see the draft board falling to where this guy might be picked up before them, then they might go ahead and make the trade up. Even though it looks like we have a lot of needs on paper. But to me, that's kind of what I see. Now, the kicker to that is I don't believe it's a wide receiver. I don't think we go wide receiver this year in the first round. And I'll tell you why. It's because of who they're trying to bring in, who they're interviewing, and the specific positions that they're interviewing. They're interviewing Crabtree. They're interviewing Jennings. They're interviewing Welker. All of these veteran receivers means there's not really a guy they like at 14 or that they suspect will be there at 14. You know? Yeah, so, so I, the, the suspense is killing us then. I mean, if they're, if they're trading up, who do you think that they're targeting? Well, it's really kind of hard to tell, but... I think really it boils down to either a defensive goal like Shelton. The reason why I say Shelton is because 
you got to understand, they, they, Detroit really didn't have anybody in their secondary, like talking about. I mean, the guys that kind of made their name, they kind of made their name on the back of that defensive line. You know what I mean? And a big part of that was Sue. You know, I mean, they had old boy from Atlanta, but he really wasn't, like, as good as he used to be. Then they have Alkidis that was playing safety for him. He's not really that good either. Now, well, if the reason people, why if people are, are are a fan of what Sue did in Detroit, then you can't be against the Shelton pick because the Shelton pick is something Detroit would have done. I mean, I'm not comparing Nick Fairley to to Danny Shelton, but no one thought in 2011 that the, the Detroit Lions were going to take uh, Nick Fairley. They thought that everyone, most people, assumed that they had that position locked up, and they and they swung for the fences there. And, I mean, but to your point, that defensive line had incredible depth during Sue's yeah. time there. I mean, I know at one point they had Kyle Van and Bosch and uh, Cliff Averill, and uh, I, I know they got some mileage out of Lawrence Jackson, too, and then they made the, the move to Ziggy Anza and had a lot of success with him. And you can make the case for that is the reason those guys had the amount of success that they found in Detroit during Sue's time there is because Sue was there. I kind of agree with, to an extent, with what Dawson Panther Life is saying. Um, I, I think they have a guy that they really want. I don't know that it's somebody that we really know of at the moment. I mean, everyone's kind of talking about Kevin White or other receivers. And, I mean, I could see them falling in life, as you said, with uh, – with Devontae Parker. But uh, there, there, there are two things that, that that I was thinking about as you were saying that that would, I would agree with. Number one, uh, I, I think there could be a guy like uh, possibly like Todd Gurley uh, that when we did our mock on the podcast that he was, you know, I just pick, kind of picked him as a surprise pick just because no one else had. But no one is talking about the running back position and everyone's kind of saying, oh, Miami needs this and that, and that's a guy that could fall and fall and get to 14, and they snap him up right there, uh, and, and kind of Miami smokescreened everybody into thinking they wanted some other position. The other thing I mentioned on the site today was that a lot of people are talking about the defensive line. Well, they're not focusing on it as a defensive end. And if you look at right now, we don't need a defensive end. Miami has Wake. They have Vernon. Going to use Jordan as an edge rusher. They've got um, today. They've got Shelby. They've got some guys there, but you know, they they may be looking at well, what if we've got to look at life after Wake? He's not always going to be around and be an elite player. He may have two or three more years left, and that's great, but he may not. So they may. What if they trade up not for a defensive tackle, but for a defensive end? You know, they did it two years ago, and it didn't necessarily work out. But what if they go for a guy like Gregory or uh, Dick Beasley, who I've read that they really like? Or um, Dante Beasley said that that team, he made it sound like they had immense uh, interest in him when he talked to them. So uh, another guy would be Shane Ray. 
I think yeah. Shane Ray fits that that hybrid that hybrid type. Although one point you made earlier is that I in this draft. Uh, it makes sense for them to just pursue the players they want instead of the guys they think are going to fit in that scheme. Uh, we You covered that when we were talking about Will Davis and Jamar Taylor. Uh, Dolphin Daniel, for life, do you want to stay with us while we uh, go to the phone? Sure. All right, great. Well, I... uh, our, uh, fan, our, uh, our good friend, uh, Lewis from South Florida, sorry to keep her waiting. How you doing? I'm all right, guys. How about you? Good. You sound sick. You all right? No, it's just I got a little something in my throat. I'm be fine. No big deal. Oh, I was gonna say you should take one of those salt baths that you recommend. They are very good. Oh, oh I will. Believe me, I will. But uh, I'm okay. No big deal. All right. So what's going on? Uh, not much. Twitter's exploding with Welker talk. And did you did you guys already do Wes Welker stuff? No, we haven't. We haven't talked about little Wes Welker yet. But I mean, we well, certainly I, can uh, usher that in right now. Yep, let's do it. The whole so West Welker thing. Uh, I think I'm there. I think the people in the minority are the ones who actually want West Welker back, because it, it you look at his you look at his uh, skill set and you think, well, he's a he's a good fit, right? Yards after catch guy, and yeah, okay, fine. But at the same time, you already got to have a very injury-prone, concussion-prone, no less, player in Jordan Cameron. So why are you going to take a guy, I think he's going to be 33 soon, couldn't, he couldn't function with Peyton Manning in Denver. So we're going to try and bring him in here to be the fifth wide receiver? Because actually, no, I take it back, because he wouldn't be the fifth wide receiver. Because veterans don't tend to sit the bench, because Many people are willing to say at this point that Dante Moncrief is better than Reggie Wayne, and that's probably why the Colts decided to let him go. I'm not surprised we were big fans of Moncrief when he came out of uh, Ole Miss. I know exactly. we lost a ton of tape of that guy. Uh, well, here's exactly. The that's my if point. If my gonna, point is, yeah, if, if they're going to sign but, anyone, I mean, it has to be Greg Jennings, doesn't it? I mean, that's the, the most only guy I can think of that has any decent upside. Patrick has the problem. Bunker is all banged up and old, and he's not better than Matthews at this point. Then who's the other guy? Reggie Wayne? He hasn't even come in for a visit yet. I'm sure he will eventually, but he's 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 done, man. He's done. One thing it's I read like the today crazy. on Twitter. The Crabtree thing was a mess, too. Just to point out there. Crabtree. One thing I read today on Twitter, and this goes back to what Dolphin Fan for Life was saying earlier, I think some of these guys that they're bringing in, like a Jennings uh, and Welker, maybe even a Reggie Wayne, is that I think they're looking for a guy that's going to provide, I think the way I read it today was not necessarily leadership, but professionalism into the wide receiver unit. There was a lot of ego problems last year with the guys that were in there. And I think they want to bring in somebody that's, that that will provide that that professionalism. Show it's how it's that's done. That's why you bring in Crabtree, right? That, well, that's... No, I, I don't think I, anyone's I, if for bringing in Crabtree at this point, especially if that rumor about the money he wants is true. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think that was I think that was earlier on. I think that they were actually looking for a guy that, in my opinion, would have some upside coming back from the injury. But I think looking at these older guys, that's what you're looking at them for is 
Let's say they go out and draft a receiver at 12. Let's say the rumors are true and they, they trade up and draft Kevin White. You've got this, you know, on paper, you've got this great receiving core with, uh, or potentially a great receiving core with a guy like Kevin White, Kenny Steele, Jarvis Landry. But you've got to think, those guys are, I mean, one-year, two-year, three-year guys. The, the oldest, the, the most veteran receiver that they have right now is is Rashard Matthews. Rashard Matthews. And if they move him, which I, I've seen that somebody, uh, I think it was a guy from your site, uh, had mentioned he, he's got a feeling that Matthews gets moved, and I could see that if they do trade up. Do they need a guy that can be that fourth receiver, a guy that will come off the bench but still get plenty of snaps? Because you've got to think, even if you draft a guy like Kevin White, he's not going to be ready to come in and produce like an elite receiver his rookie year. It's not going to happen like it did last year. It's just not. It could, but I wouldn't plan on it. And so you bring in this guy that's going to kind of, I guess, lead them and show them, like, this is how the receivers need to do it, and then kind of hand the, hand the reins over to Jarvis Landry, who's going to be the leader of that group anyway, so let's just go ahead and get that out of the way, to say, this is how you need to do it. This is your group now, and and just get that. I mean, there is there is a little bit of, trepidation with going in to going into it with a young receiving core like that. I you know, I I have a lot of faith in Landry that he's doing things the right way just because that's just the way he is, but you still need a little bit of guidance from some older guys and I don't think he was really getting that from the knuckleheads that were in there last year. And you bring in a guy like Jennings or Welk or even Reggie Wayne even, who's a Hall of Famer and he would show them like this is, you know, this is how we. This is how Hall of Famers do things. Decent guys, those ways. But he's not a guy like Cortland Finnegan was last year, who's going to necessarily be a progress stopper, because you're not. You know, you, you don't bring a guy like that in to become a starter. You bring a guy like that in to be a backup. That's why you're offering such low money. Now Crabtree's a different. He, he's a different ball of wax because he's not going to provide that, but. He, he is a guy that you think, well, we can invest one year in. If he, he plays well, we can invest more money in, whereas you're not going to do that with Wes Welk or Gene or anybody. So, all right. One of the well, hidden aspects of of adding a guy like Jennings is with the new rules with the off-season programs, you know, you can't re- coaches can't really spend all that time with the people and do – what they want to do, and that gives them an extra person who's actually been there, done that, and has the experience in the system to work with not only the receivers but with Tannehill. Just not like with Tannehill as far as like the route running because, you know, he was a wide receiver in A&M, but alongside him so that that way he can continue to focus on being the, the quarterback as far as the relationship goes. So you got to get like... So you're assuming here is that Greg Jennings is going to thrive in the offense that he's used to with Philbin and Green Bay. Is that what you're trying to say here? Yep, pretty much. But it's Lazer's offense. Still, it, it's it's pretty much terminology that's different. But as far as like the system goes, you know, it, it it's. 
the it's West Coast spread, spread off base. You know? So, I mean, the terminology is going to be a little bit different. You're going to have different keywords in there and everything. But uh, the same concepts essentially remain in place there. So, and I, I, you can break it down like this. If you're bringing in a guy like a Nelson Aguilar, you're bringing in a Phil Dorsett or, you know, Receiver X, I mean, whomever. Do you, I mean, do you want him around Michael Crabtree and Wes Walker, or do you want him around someone like Greg Jennings, a guy who, in terms of uh, technical approach, is a borderline mechanic at the position? I mean, the guy runs great routes. For the most part, he's exhibited ex- excellent hands. I mean, he's a fingertip catcher. I mean, like, his hands look soft. I know that's something a lot of people have talked about him. I mean, he brings a lot of skills that you hope rub off on your younger receivers. So, I mean, in terms of the guy I want around my, my young receiving core, it's a no-brainer. But And I agree that while it's a laser offense as opposed to the McCarthy offense that uh, Jennings played in with Green Bay, I mean, if you're playing in a, in a West Coast scheme, you get what you're trying to do. You get that the ball comes out quickly. Typically, you're not looking for guys who are uh, home run threats. I mean, you need to be able to do things the right way in that offense in terms of running routes, uh, really uh, exploding out of your breaks, really working guys in your stem to get ahead. So, I mean, that's something you hope rubs off. I know who I want in there, and I I just get this feeling that they are going to sign Greg Jennings. I think they'd be crazy not to. And and not not only that, but Jennings even came out, or it was said on Twitter that his – his goals are not to come in and, and become this uh, me-first guy that's going to want a bunch of catches. He he wants to become a leader. He wants to teach young guys some 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 uh, teach the young guys the position. And that may have been him angling for a spot on the Dolphins. Who knows? But you know, it sounds like he's a guy that wants to come in and would cherish the role of a a mentor and not be worried about you know, well, I'm not getting as much playing time as I should be. So, yeah, why not take a slider on that guy, even if you draft a guy uh, in the first round? He's at an age where that mentality can get him into coaching anyways, you know, as soon as he ends up leaving the NFL. I mean, we did the same thing with Al Harris. We put him back in the secondary, and the next thing you know, we hired him as our um, defensive back's assistant coach. You know, um I'm under a firm belief that you have two different roles for the two different receivers. Finding a guy like Greg Denny to put him in the offense and it's to do all those little things like teaching the young wide receivers and everything else. If you get a guy like Wes Welker, well, one of the best things that Wes Welker does is kick off punt returns. Well, you have a guy who's looking to end up being more in the offense that was handling kickoffs and punting times last year. That's where that connection, I think, fits. You know, you bring him in, kickoff, punt returns, third, fourth receiver, whatever, and then you know you let Jarvis Landry handle just the wide receiver position. That way he doesn't risk an injury during special teams because he's going to be supposed to die in the future. I can't imagine Welker coming down from off of Mount Olympus after playing with Brady and Peyton Manning and saying, I'm content with 
just being a fourth string guy and playing special teams and kick returns. I I can't see that. I I I want Jennings too, but and like Duke said, he's when if he if it's true that he said that he wants to be more of a mentor than a superstar wide receiver, then I can't honestly think of a better fit for him right now than coming down to Miami. But he, as far as I know, is the only one who has like said I want to take that role. I can't imagine that if if Welker decides he wants to play again, because there's always a chance he could decide that he wants to retire if the interest isn't isn't high enough for him because of all the concussion problems. I can't imagine Welker's ego allowing that. I know for a fact that Crabtree's ego is not going to allow that. And we may not even bring Reggie Wayne in for a visit. He's 37 years old, and he, his, his ability to create separation is all but gone. So... I want Jennings. Jennings is probably the best fit in the whole the whole shebang. He's got everything that we want from him. But if we're going to talk about Welker, if we're just going to talk about his ability to play, then I I would much rather just leave him be and let somebody else take a shot on him because I don't want Mr. I need a helmet three times bigger than my head for padding to be anywhere near kick returns, and I don't want him taking over snaps from Landry or Matthews who are younger with more upside than he is. What about his bath salt? Say again? What about the bath salt? <laughs> I didn't hear what you said, man. <laughs> what about the bath out. salt? I'll yeah, to, his, uh, uh, there's a, a question on the his little, side. His little excursion about that Greg he had in, in, uh, in Denver. <laughs> anyway, uh, Jennings just makes the most sense. In, in my opinion, everything that you guys have said, I agree. Um, I think he made some mistakes leaving or the way he left Green Bay. I know that there was a little bit, at least on the uh, on the surface, a little bit of animosity there. Uh, one of our uh, guys on the site, uh, Jason Scott, uh, brought up a point I think is really interesting, that he gets the feeling Philbin doesn't really like Greg Jennings, which I think I can probably uh, – I, I can – I can certainly get that, and I can probably understand it. I think that that was a factor in the in the free agency wooing process two years ago. I don't think anyone really cares what Sylvan thinks now. I think that the talent is going to come in regardless, and I hope they. And even not and that's not is, is that even confirmed? That's not even confirmed because recently Sylvan came out and said all the right stuff about Jennings. He's a professional. He's this. He's that. He's all this nice stuff. I can't see that it really makes that much of a difference in the first place. I, it doesn't. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, and I can't. I really can't see a conversation between Jeff Ireland and Joe Philbin that went something like, "I don't care if you bring in Mike Wallace or not. I just don't want Greg Jennings." Not gonna happen. I, I, yeah, I, I don't see that happening. So I, I, I don't know. I think maybe the Mike Wallace over Greg Jennings was a more of a Jeff Ireland call. And I believe it was after that season that, you know, didn't they mention uh, that didn't Ireland, didn't they kind of have a little dust up where he said that, you know, he basically was saying, look, I brought in these players and the coaches didn't, didn't you know, didn't get the most out of them or something like that. So I think there was a lot of disconnect between those two. I, I think they're a little more oh. in tune now with each other. But I do agree with Keith. I don't think, like, Joe Hill was like, I've got to have this guy or this guy. I think the... I think Hickenbaum's making all the calls regardless. Yeah, I, I don't think they're interested in finding guys who are just going to tow the company line here. I certainly wouldn't go that route. 
the, I mean, and I'll, I'll keep coming back to it. As long as these guys sit there and keep telling me that Deion Jordan's a defensive end and nothing else, I'm just going to roll my eyes and just and just look forward to the to oh, the God. day where uh, old, old boy and uh, and crew are out of town. But keep laser, please. Uh, yeah, that talk is uh, running uh, rampant on Twitter these days. That's why I keep saying it, so people will think that I'm the one who came up with the idea. Uh, another thing, too, that to keep in mind is, because we, we talked about Aguilar earlier, is so if you bring Greg Jennings in, in a way you have future Greg Jennings and Jarvis Landry in the way he plays, and then you would have supercharged Greg Jennings in the way Nelson Aguilar plays which is kind of interesting. It's almost like you took a player and then you just geno-spliced DNA with someone else and you came out with like this this ridiculous hybrid. Uh, so I think one of our other callers mentioned uh, Jordan Cameron. Uh, th- just because he's a tight end, I think people are overlooking uh, his place in terms of Dolphins' pass catchers. I think that's a good point. I think that as long as that guy stays healthy and I realize that is an if, a big if, but as long as he can go ahead and stay on the field, that guy's going to do major damage. People said so that's the same thing about mine. People said the same but, thing about Reggie Bush when he came in. You know, if he can stay healthy, if he can stay healthy for two years, he was practically healthy. The thing is, is that people underestimate the power of the nutritionists and the health people that we're bringing in to focus first things first. They're going to get him that helmet that they probably didn't provide him in Cleveland. You know, they're going to get him all that what, stuff. And the quarterback. Yeah. yeah, how about a exactly. quarterback? They, they already yeah. gave him a quarterback. <laughs> uh, they yeah, gave him a quarterback in, uh, in Cleveland. So I think he's going to appreciate that as much as anything else. Um um, I think that's the biggest reason why he signed is because of the health benefits and things like that. I mean, he, he saw exactly what these people are going to bring to the table, and people talk about how Sue would bring free agents, but you show them a system where you're trying to actively help them prolong their careers, and it's going to be a draw, too. I mean, Sue's great, Sue's wonderful, but... You know, he's just a guy that's going to be playing with him. You put him on the pedestal, that makes him above you. But you show him all this other stuff, like the nutritionist and the 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 new workout room that they put in there. The you know the health thing, as well as the monitors and stuff like that. We're actually one of only, I believe, five or six teams that do that whole monitor and the chest piece thing. Um, I read an article about it. So, I mean, you've got all this stuff going. You know, you can't really base this production in Cleveland on what he's going to do here because we run a whole different system, you know. In that we score a point. So we have that going on. Uh, And we didn't draft Trent Richardson with the third overall pick. So yeah. there's just a lot to like if if you're Jordan Cameron coming in, you get to play with a hyper accurate quarterback. Uh if you get deep, it doesn't really matter if he overthrows you, you're enormous. Uh you can uh you're gonna get to it anyway. 
Uh, one thing I want to ask Lewis, because he wasn't a part of the conversation earlier, uh, the whole mock draft we were taking Danny Shelton, would you accept that, or did you see that selection and just start shaking your head vigorously? I'd probably be shaking my head because uh, <clears throat> the thing is, you look at Danny Shelton and you realize that there could be a lot of potential there, but he has a lot of issues that don't warrant him being picked at number 14. And you also have to consider the fact that we still have guys like uh, Anthony Johnson and A.J. Francis and um, Earl Mitchell, and all all three of those guys have potential, which is only going to be augmented greatly because of Ndamukong Sue. If Francis had not gotten hurt and been placed on injured reserve, and truthfully, I think that might have been a bit of a mistake because Francis looked like he was ready to go back to the field like halfway through the season. So Francis was making himself known in training camp last year, and he got hurt, and that was the only thing that was holding him back. I think Francis can be a really, really good player. So I don't see the need for Shelton in any way, shape, or form right now. I'm not going to – I suppose the pick would be like kind of a fantasy come true because you picture this guy who was highly touted during the early draft process and you pair him with Ndamukong Sue and you're thinking, we're going to have the best defensive line in football. And, you, well, you put Sue and Wake on one defensive line and you already have that argument halfway there. But I don't see Shelton as being more talented right now than someone like Francis. I just don't. I would much rather go with the wide receiver position or a linebacker or something like that because the talent right there is much more evident immediately rather than somebody like uh, a cornerback at 14. And I I already went through my very loud, passionate rants on Trey Waynes on the uh, Finn Maniacs one, so I'm not going to yell that's about right. Waynes that's again. Right. You're, uh, you're a Trey Waynes fan. So, no, I'm, uh, are, you, don't, are you trying to make me upset, guys? Yes, I, I am. I am absolutely trolling you right now. Everybody trolls me. Okay, I'm not gonna do the Wayne thing again. I'm not gonna yell and scare off your your viewers. Uh, that's fine. They, if they're if they're willing to stick it stick through it with us, they'll pretty much uh, they'll tolerate I'd anything. Wait. So, I'd rather wait on a corner till next year myself. To be honest with you, I mean, and I'm I'm gonna be honest. I pounded the table for 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 this guy for a long time, Mr. Shelton. And the reason I do is because if you cure cure that defensive line and have four people on there with multiple set capabilities then you not only cure the defensive line, you cure the linebacking core, you cure the safeties, and you cure the secondary. That one piece right there can actually mean that you can take the rest of that and just kind of take your time with it, use the progress, you know, people that you have in there right now, and just kind of work through the machinations where you can go next year and you have more picks to just not hit a home run. You know, you can get somebody that's productive, but a guy like Shelton, he not only does that, but three years down the road, once we're done paying Sue, if he's worked out, we can actually one-up 
what Detroit did have somebody in place instead when we're having to replace all these other people on the defensive line. We're already going to have not only that, but you can go with a 5-2 and pretty much you don't need three linebackers then. You know, you put Deion Jordan can be a defensive end then because basically he's just playing at the end. Or you put him in between, you know, Shelton and Vernon. I mentioned that in the little draft post. Even though I don't like, you know, that I have the same mindset as big hair guy, I I just like the pick because of what it does to our defense. It basically makes it transcendent. Yeah, the linebacker. But that's assuming that Danny Shelton is going to be a star. There's a lot of question marks now. With Wake, with Sue, with Vernon, with all these other guys, he's not going to be able to slack off. Wake's and neither will Francis or, John, or Johnson or Mitchell. I still think that Shelton's floor is higher than A.J. Francis' ceiling, to be honest with you. That's uh, almost like they, that, they live in the same apartment complex. Uh, uh, so <laughs> one thing to keep in mind is, uh, and I, I thought I heard Lewis just say that Shelton might not even be there. Uh, I so, think that... I didn't say that. Oh, I thought you just, I heard you said that uh, the issue of him being there. No, I said <laughs> it was a bold statement. It. I said it was a bold statement because Dolphin Van for Life said that Shelton's floor was higher than Francis's ceiling. And I was like, uh, uh, mm, I don't know. I like Francis a lot. Yeah, I like I like Shelton a lot too. I, I mean, I've already stated that it's not the guy I want to take at fourteen. I mean, far from yeah. it. But uh, I mean, looking at that mock today, it was it was so disheartening to from about uh, say, well, pick four onward because I mean, Oakland takes a receiver, Chicago takes a receiver, Beasley goes to Atlanta, and uh, I mean, it's just on. It just pretty much just unraveled. Uh, the the surprise was the four receivers going before us, not the three. Which I mean, I've made jokes about that on Twitter about I mean, who's going to buy into the Brashad Perriman sweet uh, sweepstakes based off that forty time? Uh, I, I would not I would not be willing to to go for that. I mean, if if you don't like the tape, and I was not a big fan of the tape. Uh, it's really hard to justify taking a guy just because he ran a four two, four two four. I don't even remember his time. Four two four, I think. Something just ridiculous. The Raiders or Cleveland would do it. Cleveland well, needs to replace Gordon. Yeah, I, I think that uh, if Al Davis was still was still around, yeah, that that Brashad Perriman is already just getting measured for his tracksuit. Out there in uh, in silver and black, no doubt. Uh, you'd you'd like to think it's a little bit different now. I don't know. Uh, the loss could be our gain if they go ahead and and go in that direction. But something tells me that I mean they have a really good young quarterback out there now. Uh, it would be who of them to get it right here. I think that that'll start that'll begin with a guy like a an Amari Cooper or Kevin White. The one guy I haven't seen at that spot is um, Devontae Parker. So I, mean, I don't know. There's see a the lot Raiders of... trading down and picking up Green Beckham. To be honest yeah. with you, I mean, if if ever there was a receiver 
who should play for the Oakland Raiders. It has to be that guy. That's an excellent point. That guy just has Raider written all over him. I'm still convinced that DGB is going to be the next Megatron. I mean, he can learn how to run new routes. He's his his physical talent and his measure and his measurables are just crazy. They're just crazy. One thing about Doyle Green Beckham and Marcus Peters and some of these others that I think Dolphins fans at least need to not worry about as much is you. Re- I've read a lot of people saying, "Well, they're not Joe Philbin guys." Well, Joe Philbin's not making these calls. Yeah, Philbin. And, Philbin's whatever. Yeah, so. You know, I think Mike Tannenbaum, when he be- when he became involved, now I think Dennis Hickey is still he's in charge of of make you know putting the putting the uh, putting the scattering reports out there. He's in charge of you know getting these uh, pieces for Tannenbaum to kind of look at, and I think he I think Tannenbaum is you know I think when you evaluate, assuming the assuming the interview process goes well. That's the key with him. Let's just assume that goes well. I, I can't see a, a a situation where they're sitting there looking at Doyle Green back and say at 14, and they like him, that they're going to say, well, this guy's got issues, and, and we, we want these clean, you know, clean-cut guys. I, I don't see that with, with Tannenbaum. I think he's going to take risks on players. He did that with New York, and I think he would do it here. Um, so, yeah, just that, that idea of, well, this guy's not a Philbin guy. I rule that stuff out. I mean, because he's going to get into trouble. He's going to get into trouble anywhere. And, you know, but that could happen to any player. And, you know, at some point, uh, you know, I think, what is it, the Cowboys had to hire basically a babysitter for Des Bryant? I believe the term is uh, life coach. Yeah. Do you think they even <laughs> care about that right now? I mean, they just threw the, all that... Fifteen million dollar franchise tag or whatever on him. I'm, I'm sure who, whatever that life coach is making is worth that. Um, so if you know if Hickeybaum goes into Stephen Ross's office and say this guy right here, he's going to be an elite wide receiver, but we need to keep his nose clean. I don't think Stephen Ross is going to say, you know what, guys, I'm pinching pennies right now. I'm not hiring a life coach. Now this guy is going to have. He's going to have probably 10 sets of eyes on him at all times uh, to make sure he becomes that way. So, if, if he doesn't need a lifeboat, he just needs his brother to stick around, that's all. Yeah, if they they will find some way to make sure he's he's in good shape. Even uh, Ross so, will babysit him if he has to. Yeah. He'll just come in. Steven Ross, yeah. he looks like the dad from Alf. So, you just bring him <laughs> in and do it. That would be an incredible That's a bad, that's a bad example. <laughs> that guy got arrested for, like, child molesting. There's something, didn't he? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, I don't you, think you, 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 you would pay to watch it. You know you would. That, I suppose, that, like, you know, in hockey, when uh, a kid gets strapped and he goes and oftentimes lives with a player, or he does that when he's in the juniors or whatever, just send Doriel Green Beckham to live with Stephen Ross at his South Florida compound or his mansion or whatever. Just, you know, go ahead and, and have uh, have your your butler wait on him hand and foot. Just make sure that he doesn't leave the premises. It's fine. Uh, put him in a house with Hickenbaum and have another episode of My Two Dads. 
Yeah. I can't believe you remember that show. I feel like that would be lost on a lot of our listeners, but my two dads, what a gloriously awkward sitcom that was. I'm lost. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. It was uh, uh, television once, once upon a time. One of those oh, ideas where you're like, I, I, I can't believe they hashed that out and actually thought, like, yeah, let's just go ahead and throw it out there and see what happens. It was a little, it was a little strange. Um, but, I mean, we're, 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 we're I gotta get off the line. My girlfriend's calling. <laughs> that is no, that is no reason to, to stop talking about Dolphins football. No, that's fine. Thanks for giving us a call. No problem. All right, buddy. Bye. Take care. Good night. You too. Good night. So just for the record, a few minutes. Few minutes left. Just for the record, if the Dolphins take Shelton, Mel Kuyper is going to take credit for it. The Dolphins fans for life said it first. So oh, right you always want to pump him up, you know that you are, you are, you hey, are I'm into just saying, it. I'm just saying. He called it several weeks ago. What's with you and Kuiper, man? Nobody likes Kuiper except you. I don't like him. Oh, I, I. Nobody, nobody wants to touch that grease helmet that he's wearing. Nobody, <laughs> uh, or get their eyes pecked out. Nobody's interested in that. That's, so, I, mean, I, I keep going back to that ESPN commercial. Who is Mel Kuyper? Like, like who, is, who oh, are you I to even say? I've watched that live. That was uh, during the 94 draft. Uh, the funny thing about that is, uh, I mean, Kuyper was right to kill them for taking Trev Albers, but he was ridiculous to suggest that Trent Dilfer was, was the ideal guy. Because I remember Trent Dilfer's first game was against the Chicago Bears in 94, and they pretty much tore him apart. And I remember watching that game, obviously, because I lived in that region. And I remember seeing that game, and my dad was like, boy, that Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback sucks. So the fact that Mel Kuyper was, was talking about Trent Dilfer like he was he was Andrew Luck before there was an Andrew Luck was pretty ridiculous. So, But I, I, want to, I do want to bring up that Indianapolis did take Marshall Falk in that draft. Which you know, not too shabby there. So, okay. but it's like Kuiper is just picking whoever is the most popular pick for the. In fact, never mind. I don't. No, I take it back. Is Danny Shelton? I don't know where that came from. It's like Shelton was like the pick from like really, really early in the draft process, and now all of a sudden he's come back right out of nowhere. Who was talking about Danny Shelton that Kuiper decided it'd be a good idea to give him back to us? Well, maybe he's just trying to play the contrarian or something. I don't know. Well, and, and to be fair, mock drafts can get boring after a while because there's no information out there. He gets paid a lot of money draft. to do that, though. It, yeah. But, I mean, at least from, from my perspective, at some point, because I remember we were doing this last year, and I was, I was trying to come up with people to actually mock to the Dolphins. I'm like, who, who, who would they take that I haven't already said before? Because, you know, at some point, like, you know, take Walter football, for example. For a while there, especially, like, he said, oh, I've got a new mock draft posted, and it's the same stuff he had the week before. So, I mean, at some point, Mel Kuyper may just be sitting there thinking, you know what, let's just, you know, let's just change it up a little bit. He was the one who was giving us Mark Ingram, but relentlessly mocking Mark Ingram to the Dolphins in 2011. I understand he wasn't the only person doing that. 
But, I mean, he just wouldn't leave it alone. He was just like, Mark Ingram, Mark Ingram's going to the Dolphins. No, stop. Stop it right now. Leave it to New Orleans to trade back into the first round for him. Um, uh, is he? I'm wondering if he's one of those anti-Dolphin guys who just wants to make us see us make the dumbest pick possible. Well, he's a Baltimore guy, so I mean, I don't know. He probably grew up a Colts fan, so by nature, yes. If it, I mean, if you're talking about the old AFC East, yeah, he probably completely hates Miami Dolphins, and that's fine. Who cares? I mean, I don't necessarily want to see a Dolphins fan like on ESPN mocking them, or mocking them picks either. But I'll say this: that ESPN's big board is a heck of a lot different than what you're seeing out there. Because as I mentioned, Bill Faber doesn't even have Eric Hendricks in the first round. I mean, I've seen mocks out there that have him going top 15. So, I mean, it's all in the eye of the beholder here. I cannot imagine Kendrick's not going in the first round. He's probably the best overall linebacker in this draft. How can Kendrick's not count as first rounder? Does, who, does, who, is, who is in the first round? Perryman? Dawson? No. No, no, no. I don't think I, any of those guys are in there, if I recall right. But, I mean, Mel's always a guy. I mean, he's always play down the value of the interior or the inside linebacker position. So, I mean, that's nothing new. But I would rather, I mean, I would rather take Kendricks than Shelton. Although, I mean, I would like Shelton, and I think that Shelton would serve a real purpose for us. I know, but if you're if you're into the personnel we currently have with Pearl Mitchell and, uh, and Johnson and Francis, then you can bring uh, Eric Kendricks in and pretty much slot him into the easiest inside linebacker role in the history of life. I mean, like, he's not going to have anyone on him. That guy's just, he's going to, I said earlier that you put him next to Jelani Jenkins, those guys are going to eat the West, or eat the East Coast. I mean, they're, I mean, they're just going to be able to tackle anything and everything in front of them because they're, I mean, they're going to be, they're going to be clean on the second level, which is an interesting thing. And that's the argument against, over picking Kendricks over Perryman because, when we talked on our show uh, a week ago, the argument for Perryman was that he's better at defending the run. And, like, I can understand why we're trying to talk about that since the running backs are apparently a big deal in this uh, in this division all of a sudden. But for the inside linebacker, I would much rather have somebody like Kendricks because he can cover and because he's a more natural fit and he he doesn't need to be taken off the field every third down. That's the, no, that's he's the a better, difference. He's a He's a better third-down linebacker. There's no doubt about that. When we watched Perryman, Perryman is a sure tackler. He's outstanding. But the thing about him is I thought he was a quarter count late in a lot of the coverage. It just, I mean, there's that kind of thing where he did some good things in coverage, but it never really felt natural. Whereas when you watch Kendricks, I mean, he is just locked in. I mean, it feels natural. He can drop back. Uh, And the thing I, and Perryman's got this, in my opinion, to a lesser extent, but Kendricks' closing speed is what really sold me on him. I mean, when when that guy goes ahead and puts a bead on the ball carrier, that guy closes in a blink, and it's awesome to watch. Yeah, he's a straight missile. Yeah, I mean that he can ball for sure. So I would say that if you're if you're looking for the more natural run defender, then I mean you can go Perryman. I think the the things that hurt Perryman are uh, obviously the lack of size. I think he's I mean, on a good day five eleven. Even though he, I think he runs about 236, I think he's technically heavier than Kendricks. I think Kendricks rolls about 231, 232. Uh, but, I mean, Kendricks is six foot, which is 
in my opinion, good enough for the interior linebacker position. I'm not looking to uh, get Bernard McKinney in there at 6'5". And I know a lot of people, uh, Zach, who I talked to on Twitter, has brought up the fact that McKinney could very well end up as an outside linebacker given the scheme he goes into. So, and, I mean, I we need another one of those. So, I mean, I just, I like Kendrick's overall skill set. I think he's a more complete linebacker. I, I, the instincts he has in coverage just make me feel good about having him on the field all three downs. And I mean, like, and he can be a ball hawk at times. He, if you watch his UCLA tape, there are some examples of him making an impressive jump on the ball. I mean, he's no dummy back there. It, you know, a guy kind of reminds me of in his ability to, to close and really get after the run, because I think he is good against the run, is uh, he kind of reminds me of uh, Dan Morgan a little bit. And I was a big Dan Morgan fan back in the day. So, well, hey, whatever works. That's like that's besides corner. That's pretty much the last thing that we have to worry about. Is we're worried that Koamisi is not the answer at middle linebacker. And I'm not going to say he's the answer, but he's a answer. It's, he's it's an answer. I mean, the, the biggest issue yeah, there is that he stay healthy. Exactly. He's a answer. He's not the answer. I think Kendricks could be the answer at middle linebacker. And like I yeah. would I'm with Duke. I love Jamar Taylor. I think he's gonna be a stud and I think he's gonna earn his job this upcoming year. And I don't see cornerback as big as a deal that we need to draft one this upcoming draft. I mean like again, I don't I'm not gonna go into Wayne's and Peters is probably a better corner overall, but he argues with the coaches too much and I don't even think he's better than Jamar Taylor right now either. I'd rather pick. I'd rather stick with the status quo we have right now, and maybe pick up a free agent or two. Maybe bring back R.J. Stanford on a very small whatever deal, and we yeah, can move forward from there. Yeah. This next year is probably going to have different talent, maybe better talent. The Spreewell thing about Peters does uh, scare me a little bit, for sure. Uh, the one thing I want to get back what, to with Nisi is, uh, yeah, or you know just you know, coming close to strangling his coaches. Um, which, I mean, although if you want to go after Phil, then I'd try to laugh. But uh, the other thing to that I want to bring up there is you mentioned about Nisi as being unanswered. I like Nisi. I think I liked Nisi when we took him out of Utah. I think he's a good player. I thought he was miscast at first, obviously. I think he's where he needs to be now. But the thing that bothers me about him is he has a hard time staying healthy. Because, I mean, every time, I mean, I think he got hurt in week one last year with Ellerby, didn't he? And then it just became uh, a... Nisi did get hurt, but he came back. Yeah, he came back, and then he got hurt again, and it's just, I mean, it's a never ending thing with that guy. So, but I like Henderson. No one's going to have to sell me on him. I like him a lot. We've got something like three and a half minutes. We're only supposed to do an hour. We ended up doing close to an hour and a half. You guys suckered me in. Uh, we have like tornado warnings here, so I don't really want to hang around too long. Um, you anything you guys want to? Yeah, about as best as I can. Uh, anything you guys want to discuss before we go ahead and close it up for tonight? Well, I don't have anything to discuss so much, but it is on Twitter right now. Uh, Troy Palomalu is retiring. Oh, oh wow. Okay. It's the end of an era. No more, no hair. more head and shoulders commercials. No. Well, I mean, he who's going to get to do the big hair commercial now? Very good question. Is Riley Cooper available? Uh, I don't know. 
Delmas cut off his hair, so he's not going to be the one. Too bad. Nick Foles? <laughs> Jonathan Martin? He had... Oh, my God. Head and shoulders for women. And then the, the head and shoulders bottle bullies him. Oh, my God. So. All right. On that note, we're going to go ahead and call it. Uh, thank you to everyone who uh, gave us a call tonight. Uh, it was good meeting uh, Hot Sauce Steve. I know he was okay with me calling him Steve. I want to call him Hot Sauce Steve to go ahead and uh, set him apart from all the other Steves that we, we often talk to on the site. So it was good meeting him. Always good to have Lewis call in. Dalton fan for life before his girlfriend shamed him off the phone. Uh, and as always, uh, my my co-host, Duke, it's, it's been good having this discussion. Good hearing from all of you. And uh, we'll go ahead and do it again next uh, next Thursday, actually. So uh, for everyone, I'd like to say thank you again and good night. Good night. Good night. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.